Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you're watching this and where in the world you're located. Uh, it's been a long time since we had a solo episode. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying our plethora of guests over the last several days. We're picking right back up tomorrow with Ezra Dewey, who is the star of the newly released horror movie, The Jin. Uh, personally saw the movie a couple of days ago. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of new stuff that uh, will expose a lot of horror fans to some unexpected stuff. It sort of stays away from your typical horror tropes and stuff like that. Uh, so we have Ezra tomorrow, and then Sunday, a big surprise, we have Fear the Walking Dead executive producer, director, the Walking Dead director, the guy who's been with the Walking Dead universe since day one back in 2010. That is the great Michael Satrazimus is going to be joining us this Sunday. It's Father's Day. It's going to be a big treat. So please make sure you tune in tomorrow. Make sure you tune in on Sunday for those two great guests that we have coming up. Now, the news the big, big news, the news that I have not been able to talk about for over two months now, that's been killing me inside, that I've been wanting to share with all of you, got publicly publicly released yesterday. Yes, Dead Talk Live is coming to the number two horror streaming service, Screenbox. Yay! We, uh, this deal was in the works since March. It got finalized in early April, but I had to stay mum about it uh, until we worked it out with their marketing department and when it was going to be officially released. The show is going to premiere on Screenbox later this summer, probably the end of July, early August. So I can seriously vouch when people, when actors, when our guests come on and I ask them, when is it being released? And they're like, I don't really know. It's really, it's it's true. I mean, I, I signed a deal, a distribution deal. My show is going, like I said, to the number two horror streaming network service uh, in the world. And uh, I don't have a date for you. <laughs> it's going to be later this summer. Uh, like I said, if I was to guess, it's going to be end of July, early August, mid-August. So, what does that mean for the live stream? Well, the good news is the live stream is going to continue uninterrupted, just like it always has been. Our guests are going to continue the way they have been. The show is going to continue every night on... Uh, our regular time, which is sometime around this time every night. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, we basically will submit our episodes to Screenbox to be aired on their service. Now, Screenbox is just like Netflix. It's available on your streaming TV boxes, whether it's a Roku, Apple TV, uh, Amazon Fire Stick, it's available on your mobile devices, anywhere, you know, like 
almost everywhere where Netflix is available, you can find Screenbox. Screenbox is also a part of the Amazon channel family. So what what that means basically is that Dead Talk Live, if you go to Amazon Prime Video and you search uh, for Dead Talk Live, we will appear on the search on Amazon Prime. And if you click on our show, it's going to take you and it's going to say that, you know, you can watch Dead Talk Live on Screenbox with a uh, Screenbox subscription. So, you know, I advise you guys to check it out. If you want to support us, go ahead and sign up for Screenbox. It would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Now, Screenbox was recently acquired, and I mean very recently acquired by Cynodyne. Cynodyne has uh, been in business for over 21 years uh, doing what they call over-the-top streaming. Screenbox, they have over a dozen streaming channels. Screenbox is like their latest acquisition. Uh, they just acquired it this past February. They are really going to ramp up Screenbox's content uh, to make it a competitor with the other streaming services out there. Uh, so Screenbox, if you guys are familiar with Screenbox, it's going to be undergoing a lot of changes. A lot of new content is going to be coming on Screenbox. Uh, a lot of new great movies. And I'm proud to you know, be a part of one of their first acquisitions to the new Screenbox. So very exciting stuff, very exciting stuff. Uh, Like I said, that's where you're going to be able to find us. The live stream is going to go uninterrupted. The, uh, it was publicly released yesterday. We're going to get to that announcement in a second. So just remember this live stream is going to continue as it has been. Um, The way the episodes are going to be aired on Screenbox, they're not going to be in order. So basically, season one, episode one, is not going to be our first ever episode well over a year ago. No, it's not going to be like that. I decided to break the episodes down into 25 episode seasons. Now, Screenbox uh, is basically acquired, uh, not acquired, leasing, I guess is a better right. Uh, I still have full creative control of this show. Uh, it's just a partnership between Dead Talk Live, which is owned by Dead Talk Media, my production company. It's a partnership between us and Screenbox. It's a three-year deal, uh, ex- you know, that is extended beyond that when it expires uh, a year, unless you know we decide to end it. But I don't see that happening. Uh, So it's at least a three-year deal where we're going to be on on Screenbox. The episodes are not going to be in chronological order. I've already submitted uh, two seasons to them. We're breaking it down into 25-episode seasons. Uh, We're currently working on season three. They're getting all of our episodes, so we actually have 12-plus seasons worth of material for them. And uh, each season that we put together, 
I'm going to try to keep it the latest episodes. And since we are on five days a week, uh, it's going to be an endless supply of episodes and whatnot. So that's the news. That's where we're going to go. If you guys want to support us, please check out Screenbox. They are going to be really acquiring new movies, new TV shows, wrapping up their content. It's under new management. I encourage you guys to check it out as the uh, movies are going to get better and better. The TV shows are going to get better and better because that Talk Live is joining it. <laughs> and uh, so check it out. If you guys want to support us again, please go ahead. This, the uh, subscription price is not that bad at all. It's not that bad at all. Uh, check it out and we would love your support. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Screenbox. So let's get to the actual official release that came out yesterday. So here it is. Cinedime, which is the parent company of Screenbox now, bringing live stream horror talk show Dead Talk Live to Screenbox subscription service. Cinedime's horror subscription service Screenbox is the new home of the popular digital series Dead Talk Live. We've learned this morning, and it's coming to Screenbox this summer. The press release explains Cinedime, the leading independent streaming company, super-serving enthusiast fan bases, announced today that the company has added the popular digital series Dead Talk Live to their new horror subscription service, Screenbox. With Dead Talk Live's Cinedime, looks to expand the company's portfolio beyond film and television into genre-centric, unscripted series, ideal both for the casual viewer and horror fanatics. The series features exclusive live guest interviews, coverage of popular series, and reviews of upcoming horror releases, the, show's ro the show rose to prominence on YouTube and has gained nearly 350,000 followers across social media. With a catalog of, of over 250 episodes, now it's well over 300, Dead Talk Live offers a unique perspective into the diverse and often underserved genre. Cinedyne plans to launch the series this summer on Screenbox with five new episodes releasing every week. These new episodes, as well as the large catalog of Dead Talk Live episodes, will be available for streaming. The series is hosted by creator John Vizinaris. That's me. Who is known as Viz. You see it. You see it right there. Where, where's my finger? God damn it. Anyway, there's my name right there. I can't even see my own damn finger on the screen. There it is. All right. <laughs> the series is hosted by creator John Vizinaris, who is known as Viz on the show. It's exciting to be able to offer viewers a property as unique as Dead Talk Live, says Yolanda Macias. Chief Content Officer at Cinedime, Screenbox caters to a passionate fan base, and now we are able to offer horror enthusiasts 
a way to connect with their favorite movies and shows and more. Debt Talk Live gives viewers an all-access pass from interviews with the stars or stars and or filmmakers from their favorite movie to in-depth commentary on all the latest horror news. Dead Talk Live is thrilled to be joining the Screenbox family that continues to grow and be a leader of horror fans, said Vizineris. That's me again. So there you guys have it. Uh, just reading over your chats. I want to thank you guys for all the congratulations. I want to thank my team. Uh, again, my team. I could not... We... I don't want, it's not I, it's we. We cannot have done this alone, any one of us. We work together as a team. We work very well together as a team. This show would not have been able to um, be where it is right now without an amazing team behind me. And that is from our producers our executive producer, our producers, our researchers, uh, our editors, I mean, on and on and on. Uh, in the year, in a little bit over a year that we, we have been doing this show, we have a team now that is approaching or has already reached 30 members. And they're here with us because they believe in what we're doing. And that means so much. Uh, it means so much to have all these great people contributing their time because they really believe in what we're doing. And to get a reward like this and to see all our hard work pay off, I just want to say thank you to all of you. You are amazing. And it is an honor and a privilege to get to work with you every single day. So thank you so much. Uh, I want to say hello to all these people that are joining us. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Lisa just read that article. Uh, Zoe says this is awesome. Uh, Zoe just said just bought stock in Cynodyme. There you go. There you go. Cynodyme is making some moves. So if you do actually want to buy stock in the company, now's the time to do it. Uh, Khaleesi writes, it's you, man, and thank you. Well, thank you, Khaleesi. Uh, just the dedication of this team. I mean, words are, there are no words to describe uh, the dedication that I have from my entire team. And it's an honor to work with every each and every one of you every day. So, with that said, now that that news is out of the way, there'll be more news to follow. More articles are going to be written as we get closer to the premiere date. So, just keep an eye out for it. But the bottom line is, uh, it's going to be broken up into 25-episode seasons. I don't. We are submitting them really rapidly. It's up to Screenbox uh, after season one premieres in late July when season two is going to premiere and then season three. That's completely up to them. They're the distributor. I'm the production company. So I give them the show and then they distribute it. So just want to 
fill you guys in on how that works. So with that being said, let's get to our regular news. And we do have a lot of news to cover today. Uh, first of all, Black Summer Season 2 has been released. Now, I have not watched it yet. It just got released yesterday in the wee early morning hours. Um, but uh, there have been members of my team who have watched it or almost done watching it. I've been reading reviews. No spoilers, but reviews about it. And from what I hear, it is absolutely phenomenal. Now, don't forget, we've had both stars of Black Summer on our show. That would be Jamie King and Justin Chu Carey, who uh, respectively play Rose and Spears on the show. Um, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to watch it. I'm probably going to binge watch it this upcoming weekend. I'm really excited about it. I've been waiting for season two. A lot of us have been waiting for season two of Black Summer for a very, very long time. So here's what this article has to say. The title of this article actually is What the Walking Dead Can Learn from Season 2 of Black Summer. Uh, Netflix's zombie hit is relentlessly scary. There is an episode in the first season of Black Summer that anyone who's watched the show will struggle to forget. Titled alone, this unique chapter follows just one character who is stuck in a never-ending chase scene with a particularly determined zombie. It's unbearably tense, stripping down the zombie apocalypse to its most basic and horrifying components. While there's nothing in Season 2 that quite matches the impact of this setup, New episodes of Black Summer still deliver the kind of scares that newer zombie fans might not be used to. Almost 11 seasons into The Walking Dead, one lonely walker no longer possesses the threat that it once did. Even the children are pretty adept now when it comes to stabbing or shooting zombies in that sweet spot between the ears. These days, groups like the Reapers or the Commonwealth pose a far greater threat than a few rotten dead people. And, but to be fair to The Walking Dead, the, the threat, the, the underlying theme to The Walking Dead, it's always been that the humans are the biggest danger. The zombies are secondary. The zombies are the backdrop. That brought out all the, you know, like I always say, uh, the post-apocalyptic world is a psychopath's playground. And that's what they're trying to say on The Walking Dead. From day one, it's always been the people that have been the greatest threat. Now, and a few exceptions aside, drama tends to be prioritized above actual scares. Now, I personally like that. The reason why I'm such a big Walking Dead fan is because of the characters. And I can say fairly confidently that that holds true for a lot of us who watch The Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, the zombies are cool. The zombie kills are cooler. And they've had some pretty great zombie uh, kills on The Walking Dead. But it's always been about the characters. And the same with Black Summer as well. 
the zombie genre as a whole seems less concerned with these days, uh, sorry, the zombie genre as a whole less concerned with horror these days, too. Sure, that's a broad generalization, but in a bid to keep the genre fresh and appealing to mainstream audiences, films like Army of the Dead lean far more heavily into action and even comedy than the scary tropes that rot at the core of zombie stories. That's why Netflix's Black Summer is so refreshing to watch, and by refreshing, we mean absolutely chaotic and deeply stressful. That's not a bad thing, though. Viewers will feel their heart pounding again for huge swaths of Season 2, which transports the terror into an icier, northern setting. Unfortunately for Rose, played by Jamie King, and other survivors, this cold hasn't slowed down the dead one bit. Well, there you go. My theory was, now, you know, this is never going to happen, but if a zombie apocalypse ever broke out, which again, I'm going to say is impossible, but if it ever did, you know, uh, hypothetically break out, I would head straight for the North Pole. Because you got to think, first of all, there's nobody there, or Antarctica. It's not a populated area, you know? And whether they're rage zombies like in Black Summer, or we got the snail crawlers like The Walking Dead, you're going to be relatively safe. You're going to be cold, but you'll be safe as long as you protect yourself from the cold. Anyway, whether they're hiding out in a large house or running through an abandoned air hangar, Black Summer does everything it can to make you feel on edge thanks to its frantic camera, relentless action, and eerie sound design. And remember, guys, uh, Jamie King, who plays Rose, is a producer on the show. Executive producer, I believe. It also helps that the unofficial Z Nation prequel is set at the start of the zombie outbreak. And for me personally, I, I've said this, uh, our executive producer Marco has said this as well. I think we all enjoy watching apocalyptic movies as the world is falling apart. I think that's a huge part as to what made World War Z so successful. We got to see it from the very beginning. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, we are attracted and drawn to watching civilization fall apart. I personally believe it's because it scares the shit out of us. You know, of uh, order completely breaking down, unless you're an anarchist. Uh, and everybody just, you know, out for themselves. That's a scary thought. That's a scary idea. Now, of course, it's only natural that Daryl and Michonne would become expert zombie killers over time, but here, even the most seasoned fighters are still at the mercy of just one false step. Literally, no one is safe, and that is truly terrifying at a fundamental level. There are no safe scenes that encourage viewers to let their guard down. Fear the Walking Dead could, and should, have been The Walking Dead's version of Black Summer. This prequel was also supposed to kick things off at Ground Zero 
and it did, but the allure of the Walking Dead character drama soon overtook that original idea, tra transforming the spinoff into a lesser version of the original. Well, not for this season that just ended on Fear. Now, of course, there is a big drawback to the way that Black, Black Summer prioritizes horror. As intense as, as both seasons are, the show doesn't really encourage you to become attached to these characters. The randomness of their deaths and knowing that anyone could go at any time is a huge part of Black Summer's appeal. But because it's so relentless, character beats are few and far between, which also means that you end up caring about them far less as well. In fact, it's rather telling that one of the few survivors who really resonated with viewers is Sun. That is true. A Korean woman who doesn't speak English at all, with no subtitles to help non-Korean speakers, and as we found out, that was done on purpose. It was debated on whether or not to add subtitles, but they decided to leave them out. Now, Sun is played by, is played by Christine Lee, emotive performance that sold her plight to us, and that's also true for the most part in Season 2 as well. Ooh, did they give out a little spoiler there about Sun for the most part? Are we to expect Sun to go? Anyway, unfortunately, there aren't many other standout characters, and while it's thrilling to follow such an unpredictable story, most of the deaths only end up moving us in a visceral, fear-based way. There are not many characters you really miss once they are dead. To be fair, we've only had one season. Season 2 just came out. Early on, there was a sense that most characters were not safe on The Walking Dead 2, although that's not necessarily true now in the way that it once was. And you got to agree with that statement. Um, the Walking Dead, and I'll, you know, I've said this a million times, after the premiere of Season 7 where we lost Abraham and Glenn, the show took a real big beating. And ever since that point, they have really tapered down major, major character deaths, you know? And to be fair, that actually makes a lot of sense. Being the ratings monster it is, the Walking Dead franchise needs to keep certain characters alive for the sake of its fandom and the success that springs from that. But this also robs the show of some much-needed tension. That might no longer be the case moving forward, though. Now that The Walking Dead is shuffling towards its final season, it's entirely possible that the show will go out with a bang and kill off huge chunks of its cast. Unknowingly, we know for a fact that Daryl and Carol are safe, thanks to their upcoming spinoff, but everyone else could soon end up as the main attraction at a zombie buffet of epic proportions. Look at this picture of uh, Black Summer 2, Season 2. That's pretty damn cool right there. 
Now, between Black Summer and The Walking Dead, zombie fans have never had it so good on the small screen. And while it's important to have some variety, it's also true that both shows could learn a lot from each other. Instead of filling them with long, drawn-out speeches, AMC's Walkerverse would do well to remember that fear is vital when it comes to keeping us invested in these characters. And if Black Summer does return for a third season, it wouldn't hurt to remember that characterization is just as crucial as the horror tropes this show handles so well. So there you guys have it. Uh, like I said, I'm really looking forward to watching season two uh, this coming weekend. For those of you guys that have started it, how many episodes are there in season two? Is it eight or ten? Uh, Efren is joining us. He says, that's why Fear of the Walking Dead became the better show. They're still killing off major characters. I agree. And uh, as Efren just said, and as I have said, uh, you know, when the finale aired uh, last weekend... This last season of Fear the Walking Dead, uh, in my personal opinion, was the best season in the Walking Dead universe. Uh, inc that includes all three shows that we currently have. It is my favorite, by far. I know that may upset some diehard fans of the Mother Show. Uh, it's There was just not a boring or a slow episode in at all this past season of Fear the Walking Dead. They just kept it going and going and going. And that's why they were able to start, well, continue and finish two storylines in one season of this, uh, of this season of uh, Fear that just ended. Uh, Efren says, still mourning John Dory. Uh, Garrett Dillahunt. We're going to miss him. We got, we're going to miss him. But, you know, uh, as Michael Satrazim has told me as well, the Walking Dead universe needs character deaths, major character deaths, to propel other characters. John Dory's death uh, was needed to progress, you know, June's character we also got introduced to John's father. Uh, it had a reaction on everybody. Everybody. Alicia, Morgan. There's not a single member of uh, the major cast that was not affected by John Dory's death. And that's why it needed to be done. And I totally understand that to keep the story moving forward, major characters needed to die. And you got to hold that same principle to Season 7, Episode 1 of The Walking Dead, where we lost both Glenn and Abraham. A lot of people just stopped watching after that episode. They stopped watching for one of two reasons. One, a lot of people feel that it crossed the line of gore. And second, they just could not watch after losing Glenn and Abraham. So... I think the writers of the Walking Dead universe in general, all the way to the top, Scott Gimple, who runs the whole franchise, you know, at that point decided to make some changes because they did lose a lot of viewers. Uh, 
a lot of viewers. So, now speaking of The Walking Dead, uh, today they released some exclusive photos of the upcoming season 11. And if you checked out our social media, I posted these photos. I am lucky enough to be on the uh, publicity mailing list for AMC. Uh, so I got these photos uh, emailed to me. So we posted them on social media. So the headline goes, The Walking Dead drops first photos from its last season, plus the least likely teammates ever on the show. And now the end is near, well, near-ish. The Walking Dead won't actually wrap its supersized final lap until next year, but on Thursday, AMC released the first images from the long-running zombie drama's 11th and final season. Among the images are a glimpse inside the Commonwealth, a mega-community that's key to the conclusion of Robert Kirkman's comic book series, a shot of Nemesis, Maggie, and Negan as extremely unlikely teammates, and I sort of call that, with a group that's trying to read the writing on the wall, literally, and a picture of undead strap hangers. We can only hope that they had exact change. Ahead of season 11th, sorry, of season 11th, August 22nd premiere, AMC also released its official synopsis, which started off with a recap. Now, the synopsis reads, Previously on The Walking Dead, our survivors confronted past demons and combated new threats, with friendships and relationships suffering from the mounting collateral damage that is the apocalypse. The network reminded us Alexandra is severely compromised left a shell of the home that it once was from the carnage and devastation brought on by the Whisperers. Now all who live in Alexandria struggle to refortify it and feed its increasing number of residents, which include the survivors from the fall of the kingdom and the burning of the hilltop. There are only two communities left standing, Alexandria and Oceanside, which nearly never gets any kind of screen time. Now, along with Maggie and her new group, the Wardens, the logline continues. Alexandria has more people than it can manage to feed and protect. Their situation is dire as tensions heat up over past events and self-preservation rises to the surface within the ravaged walls. Not for nothing, but the Reapers are also out there posing a unique threat. So these Reapers that we got introduced to in the bonus episodes during this past winter, they're not going away. We're going to find out more about them, and apparently they're going to be a uh, threat. Now, the Commonwealth is neither a threat nor a friend. It's a community, at least in the comics, that consisted of 50,000 people. And of course, with that many people, once they come up against our survivors, yeah, there are going to be some big differences. And what we do know, the biggest difference is how the Commonwealth is run. It's sort of run on a class system. If you were important before the apocalypse... You are important in the Commonwealth. 
If you were just a peon before the apocalypse, well, guess what? You're a peon in the commonwealth. Now, all the while, our protagonists must secure more food while they attempt to restore Alexandria before it collapses like countless other communities they have come across throughout the years. But where and how, more haggard and hungrier than ever before, they must dig deeper to find the effort and strength to safeguard the lives of their children, even if it means losing their own. Luckily, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, the Commonwealth. Though KG AMC still isn't calling it that. All the network said what was the what was that unbeknownst to the to those at Alexandria, Eugene, Ezekiel, Yumiko, and Princess are still being held captive by mysterious soldiers who are members of a larger and uh, unforthcoming group. I what they're trying to say is that they may go a little different and call it something else else besides the Commonwealth. I don't see that happening. I mean, when it comes to names and whatnot, they've always held true and fast to the source material from Kirkman. I don't see them calling that group anything else in the Commonwealth. I just don't. And that's the end of the article right there. So here are the pictures. Two Commonwealth soldiers aka stormtroopers uh and then of course we have uh carol and kelly right there if you want to see all the pictures they are posted on our social media sites so you guys can go and uh check them out there uh khaleesi says he agrees about fear being the best season uh there are eight episodes in black summer too awesome uh, Efren says they stopped watching it because it became torture porn every week. Yeah, uh, you know, season seven was a little hard to watch because Negan had his boot, as Rick Grimes said, on everyone's throat. And throughout the whole season, up until the finale, they never got a break. You know, everything went Negan's way. And it wasn't until the finale that they caught a break. And then, of course, the following season, season eight, which is one of my favorite seasons, we had All Out War. Uh, Khaleesi says there is eight episodes of the new season of Black Summer, just like last season. Some are long and some are very short. That's true. If you remember... The finale of Black Summer Season 1, it was only 20 minutes long. But man, what a 20 minutes. Talk about non-stop action. I love that finale of Season 1 of Black Summer. And I've said this story before. Uh, I got my, my son to watch just the finale. Because it was short, 20 minutes, just to see all the action. As soon as he saw that finale, he went back and just binge-watched the whole the whole season. So there you guys have it. Now, moving on, VHS. Remember that great franchise, VHS? Well, VHS 4 is going to release on horror streaming service Shudder. Now, VHS 94, which is the fourth installment in the horror anthology series, 
is set to release exclusively on the horror streaming service Shudder. And we recently had uh, the uh, actress Hannah Fearman, who starred in the very first ever VHS. She was part of the first clip. I guess you could call her the Demon Temptress. That's who she played. The fourth installment of VHS horror anthology franchise titled VHS 94 will be released later this year on Shudder. The first film was released in 2012 after premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in the same year, which was followed by two sequels. Each entry is a collection of short found footage horror films built into the framework of a central narrative that strings them together. Like the first one, it's like this group of people breaking into a house, and there's this one room, and there's a VCR, a television, and a whole bunch of VHS tapes. You know? And I'm sure we have a, a, several viewers watching this right now, who have probably never seen a VHS tape in their life. Anyway, the plot for VHS 94 is set when a mysterious VHS tape is discovered, which results in the warehouse raid by a police swap team. They find several tapes from a cult that reveal a horrifying conspiracy. The cults are becoming all the rage again. The upcoming film is being led by David Bruckner, who did VHS Amateur Night and The Night House. Other filmmakers involved are Simon Barrett from Your Next and Blair Witch, Timo Tiahanto, VHS 2, Safe Haven, The Night Comes for Us, Chloe Okono, who was in the movie, who did the movie called Slut. Yep, that's what it's called, Slut. Uh, Jennifer Reeder, Knives and Skin, and Ryan Prowse, Low Life. I've always been a fan of the VHS series. Now, it has been announced by Bloody Disgusting that VHS 94 will be a Shudder original and will be released in North America, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand later this year. And a lot of you guys probably don't know this, but the original VHS was an actual Bloody Disgusting production. Uh, it was put together by Bloody Disgusting, which is one of the, you know, top horror news outlets out there today. But a lot of people don't know that they've done films and still do do films. But apparently AMC slash Shudder has bought the rights and they are making this an, uh, a Shutter original. So, producer Jeff Goldblum and Craig Engler, GM of Shutter, expressed their excitement to be working together. Both of their original quotes can be read below. Goldblum says, Thrilled seems like an understatement for just how stoked we are to partner with Shutter. We shot the film entirely during the pandemic, building sets and hotels conference rooms, and in the spirit of the series, punk rock roots. We even ventured underground into a sewer. Our team channeled the misery of this past year appropriately, so rest assured it's the biggest, baddest, and most bloodthirsty batch of tapes yet. 
Angler says the VHS series has been known for two things, its unbeatable lineup of filmmakers and its edge-of-your-seat terrifying found-footage stories. With VHS 94, the producers have upped their game bigger, wilder, scarier than ever before. We can't wait to unleash this new installment on Shutter members. Uh, Efren says, uh, Betamax. He had a Betamax. You know, our first uh, video player was a Betamax. And for those of you that don't know, uh, guys, a lot of you probably don't remember, even there was a war between Blu-ray and I believe it was called H Ultra HD uh, on who was going to win the, uh, the HD you know, physical uh, disc war. Of course, Blu-ray ended up winning that. Going back even further, when you go back to tapes, it was VHS and Betamax. And even though Betamax did offer the better quality, VHS is the one that won out. So this is a wicked picture right here. Uh, it goes on to say VHS 94 will be breaking from the tr traditional anthology format composed of individual tapes instead it will be presented as a single narrative with each segment being more linked into a fluid story the new announcement also includes that bruckner in radio silence vhs october 31st 98 and ready or not are executive producers on the project the biggest issue with most anthologies is the quality often fluctuates from one short to the next. Even if the majority are strong, the varying tones and themes can clash when looking at the film as a whole. It will be intriguing to see how the more fluid structure being teased in VHS 94 will work as a finished product. Having the newest entry in the anthology series available on Shutter will make it more accessible than selling, shelling out additional cash to watch the single title on a video on demand platform. While there is no exact release date as of yet, it is exciting to know that it will be available by the end of the year. One thing is clear VHS 94 is bringing a good variety of horror alumni and newer genre voices, which is sure to stir interest among horror fans. So there you guys have it. Efren goes on to say, Betamax did not lose the war. How can you say they did not lose the war? Uh, they, it disappeared. Uh, you know, VHS took over. You know, like I said, our first video player I remember as a kid was Betamax. It offered the better quality. The tapes were half the size of VHS. It lost the war, though. Just like Ultra HD lost the physical disc war. And Blu-ray, which is owned by Sony, won out. Speaking of Blu-rays, I have an interesting story. Um... You know, I've mentioned this before. We get screener releases from various studios and uh, production companies. Uh, we uh, we requested a screener of a movie. And I'm expecting we're going to get a link. 
But lo and behold, I get a package in the mail and I open it up and it's a Blu-ray. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. Not expected. Cool. And then like a couple days later, they actually emailed the, uh, the link to watch it online. Now, I got to tell you guys, I do not have a Blu-ray player in my house. The only device that I have that is capable of playing Blu-rays is our PS4s, and we have several of them. So luckily, I, I can still watch Blu-rays. But I have, uh, our family has pretty much ditched all physical media. And I know there are some people that are going to hate me for that. But I, I, you know, digital streaming, and I called it years ago, you know, when Netflix started out with their digital lineup, which really consisted of some B-rated movies. It was nowhere near the content that they have today. But I knew even before then, this is going to be the wave of the future. And the days of tapes, discs is going away. Now, there are some big time, you know, home entertainment enthusiasts and other enthusiasts who will not even touch digital media and still rely on good old Blu-ray. There is no right or wrong opinion on this. It's just for me, I love being able to sit on my couch where I have an Apple TV. I also have a Roku picking one or the other, going to whatever channel that I want to watch, scrolling through a library and hitting play. And Netflix, when they first started out, it was all about them mailing you the discs. It was the, the digital thing came later. Almost every house, if you walked past in the afternoon, you would see those little red Netflix envelopes either coming in or going out. The way it worked is, depending on which Netflix plan you were on, you got one or two DVDs, Blu-rays at a time. As soon as you were done, you sent those back, and the next movies on your queue would be delivered to you. It was a brilliant idea, and that's why Netflix is the company that it is today. But they had, you got to give them credit on this, they had the foresight to see that it was changing and that digital streaming is going to be the wave of the future. And especially the way COVID hit us over this last 18 months, and it's still going. Hopefully, we're getting close to seeing the, the big light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. What it did is it's, it just really accelerated the timeline of uh, streaming with theaters being shut down and a whole backlog of movies not having a way to be distributed, every studio and distributor is coming up with their own way to try to get these movies out there. And they're all trying different stuff. All the way from $20 video on demand rentals. Rentals. You know? I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend $20 on a movie rental. I know it's the same as going to the movies and you spend your money and you, yeah, you don't get to bring it home with you. But when it comes to video on demand, I will pay four, five, six, seven dollars to rent if that's the only option. But I will always choose the buy option if it's available. That's just me. So anyway, uh, 
Let's see. Khaleesi writes, last thing I bought was Wonder Woman 84. Zoe writes, do you remember when disc players were like $1,000? I remember when VHS movies, newly released VHS movies, were $100 to buy. I'm not kidding you. Back in the 80s, when uh, new movies came out on tape, they were 100 bucks or close to 100 bucks to buy. Very expensive. Very, very expensive. Anyway, in the time that we have left, I just want to touch on our uh, base topic for tonight. And we are discussing uh, basic award-worthy performances in the horror genre. And we don't have that much time left. We had so much news to catch up on today. I can't believe how fast this hour flew by. But let me just go through the list of what we think is award-worthy performances, whether it's an Emmy, an Oscar, whatnot. Now, Andrew Lincoln, hands down, he deserves an Emmy. He never even got nominated. Jeffrey Dean Morgan deserves an Emmy as well. Let's see, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe. Okay, Robert Pattinson gives a career-defining performance in The Lighthouse. Robert Pattinson is also the new Batman in the upcoming movie called The Batman. Uh, Really looking forward to that. Willem Dafoe, I mean, the guy's a legend. Okay, an absolute legend. Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy for Hannibal. The way those two played off each other in that awesome show... Uh, it's amazing. And I've got some sad news to report. Uh, it looks like Clarice on CBS is going to be canceled. And I don't have enough time to go into it. But it's going to be canceled, not because of poor ratings. It's one of the most highest watched TV shows this season. It's going to be canceled because MGM and Paramount can come, cannot come to an agreement, uh, over the price for leasing the rights to the Clary Starling name. So that's two shows. Two horror shows. Both amazing. In Hannibal and Clarice. That are going to bite the dust. Because. First it was NBC Universal. Now it's Paramount CBS. Cannot reach an agreement with MGM moving forward to use the Clarice Starling name. And like I told some of the cast of Clarice, and you know, we've had members of Hannibal, cast members as well. We had Caroline DeVernas on our show. The people that pay the price are the fans. The fans, the cast, and the crew. The cast doesn't have a say. The crew doesn't have a say. They're out of a job. Okay, this is real. This is someone's livelihood. They're out of a job. We as fans are robbed of the show. It really, really sucks. But like I've said in the past, Hollywood is a business. And at the, at the end of the day, it comes down to the almighty dollar. And if two entities cannot come into an agreement when it comes to rights and entertainment, when it comes to entertainment rights, 
I'm sure there's like a whole, if you ever go to law school, there has to be at least a whole semester's worth of a class you can take just on entertainment rights. It's that complicated. So the bottom line is it looks like we're going to lose Clarice. It's pretty much set in stone. They stopped negotiating according to the latest reports. So that's another great show that is going to go by the wayside. As did Hannibal, it could not proceed with further seasons because they were coming up to when Clarice was going to be introduced into the storyline and they could not get the rights to use Clarice. And that did not quite have the viewership as the current Clarice has. So the show ended up being canceled. But going back to Mads and Hugh Dancy's performances on Hannibal, absolutely spectacular. Uh, and we have a bunch of other people on this list that are deserving of awards that never as much even got nominations. Some did get nominations. I mean, Tony Collette in Hereditary was just absolutely fantastic. That's a film that has etched itself in uh, horror film history. It was Ari Aster's first film. Brilliant movie. If you have not watched Hereditary, please go out and watch it. Uh, anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a brilliant day, as always, getting to chat with you. We go back to our special guest tomorrow. We have Ezra Dewey, the very talented young man who is the star of The Jin. He is going to be joining us tomorrow night. Sunday, we have the great Michael Satrazimus on Father's Day. So, brilliant stuff coming up for you and a lot more guests to be announced for next week and the weeks to come. So please keep tabs on us, check us out, um, and you'll see the list and our announcements throughout our social media and website. So guys, stay safe. Until tomorrow, stay walking. Good night.